0: Hey guys. How's it going? <laughs> you guys are here for the Battlestar Galactica panel, is that right? Yeah. There you go, so you're ready. <laughs> My name is Brandy Roetzee, I am the Track Director for Star Wars at Dragon Con, but you are not here to see me. We have amazing Star Wars authors, so I will let them introduce themselves. Oh,
1: you want me to go first, that's great. <laughs> Hi, I'm Janine Spenlove and feel like possibly the most unqualified person to be on this panel, so thank you for that. I, <laughs> I, I do, I have a BB-8 watch, and it lights up, so I don't know how many of you can... <laughs> Anyways, um, I wrote uh, the prequel story to Star Wars Battlefront, it's called In Brief, and I think there are some of those Delray samplers running around that have it inside of it. Um, I've written a few other things as well, the War of the Season series and a bunch of other short stories, and I do some other stuff, and there you go.
2: (laughs) I'm Kevin J. Anderson, and I'm Kevin J. Anderson, and I'm probably best known for writing the text for the Star Wars Jabba's Palace pop-up book. (laughs) Oh, wait, that's just the most per word I've ever been paid. I did that plus the Jedi Academy trilogy and Darksaber and the Tales of books. And don't clap yet, there's 54 of them. Um, and Young Jedi Knights and the. Did I say Jedi Academy trilogy? Yeah. And Tales of the Jedi comics and. and did I mention the pop up books?
1: So what you're saying is you write Star Wars.
2: Yeah, yeah. I write legendary Star Wars. <laughs>
3: I'm Timothy The way I see these panels, we have the, the two crafters of the legend saga here on the outer uh, edges. Outer, we, rim. outer rim, we have the <laughs> the up and coming new writers, and I am the bad penny that keeps coming back whether you want it or not. <laughs> you're, you're Coruscant.
4: Uh, I am Michael A. Stackpole. I uh, did the X-wing books. I did I Jedi. Uh, <laughs>
5: I'm Delilah S. Dawson. I wrote *The Perfect Weapon*, which is one of the first stories in the new canon. And... All right, you're clapping. You're okay with it. And I also have a short story in *Star Wars Insider* number 165 called *Scorched*, which is about Gears and Elephant Bloodlines.
3: By the way, by the way, the terminology they want us to use—we might as well get used to it—is legends and canon. No expanded universe, no new canon. So, so
5: legendary canon.
3: Yeah, there we go. Legends and canon. So okay. I'm just saying this because I get ragged by it every time I, I get it wrong.
1: Thank you. I did not know those things. I have been educated now.
2: The bad penny has educated us.
0: <laughs> I don't think we believe anything anybody says of here, hardly. Um, well, what what Tim just said is not truth. canon.
2: Yes. It's oh just God. been. Oh.
0: Yeah. So, how many of you all were Star Wars fans before you got your writing gig to write Star Wars? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. yes.
2: Actually, all three of us saw Star Wars in the theater, right? Yeah. yeah.
4: So you That's knew we were going to Not into. the same theater, though. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'd just like to point out that um, the two of us—what what did Tim call us? The up-and-coming, outer, outer rim, yeah, up-and-coming. Up and coming. We're both wearing like Star Wars dresses and gear and leggings sure. so i, I, I okay fine I, apparently we need to are we gonna shut? no you can come talk to us after and see him i've always been a star wars fan for as long as i can remember i did not see the first one in the theater because i wasn't born yet oh shut up <laughs> but i have loved star wars my whole life and i really really started loving star wars when i started reading certain people's books around the time i was 15. Um, so that's why I keep telling my husband take pictures take pictures because this is a like a, oh my gosh dreams do come true moment right now for me This is crazy
3: You have very dull
4: dreams
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> She wasn't talking about your books oh,
0: okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm how does <laughs> writing Star Wars compared to playing in your own sandbox or in your own universe
3: uh, different rules apply. I mean, you, you have certain set characters, certain set technology, planets, et cetera, when you work with Star Wars or, or Terminator or any other uh, franchise. Uh, the advantage is the audience is already familiar with a lot of the characters. So you don't have to spend a lot of time describing Han Solo or explaining some of his backstory uh, as opposed to some movie franchises a seem to think you've got an origin story every time you reboot the character, but we won't go into that. Um, so there, there are pluses and minuses. I, I don't think I would want to do an entire career of tie-ins. I think I would probably burn out. But it's it's nice to do one every couple, three years or, or whatever, and especially something with star, like Star Wars,
2: where it's always fun to come back to that universe. And when you're a fan... And we were fans when i got called would do what i like to write some star wars novels i mean i was just doing handstands this was really cool because then i got to go to work by watching vhs copies of star wars over and over again and i could buy boba fett action figures and write them off as researched for my taxes <laughs> um i'm not kidding um uh, and that's that's really cool and I've done a lot of media tie-in work for you know X Files and DC Comics and and a lot of other movies and stuff, and as a fan, it's cool to do that stuff. But the the love or hate of it depends on how the licensors are. Sometimes they are really 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 anal retentive, OCD, very difficult to work with. When we were doing the the stuff with Lucasfilm, they were really pretty easy on us because they they. Of course, we started out at the beginning, so the stuff we were making up became the stuff other people had to follow, but they were really very, I mean, there were times that Lucasfilm would call me up and say, Kevin, some writer wants to do this. Can you do that? And it was pretty cool. Yeah, I think, he,
4: you know, part of the, when you're writing into your own universe, um, you get to make up everything, and and that seems like it's a lot more free, but the fact is, is that whether you're writing in your own universe, whether you're writing historical novels, you're always dealing with some sort of a Bible. You're already always dealing with some sort of set group of facts. So writing in someone else's universe, I've never found uh, at all limiting. I think the, the, the big difference in with Star Wars, uh, especially as a property, is is not being quite aware of how much impact it has in the world. Literally, when I got I got the assignment to to write the X-wing books, and a week later I was in New Orleans at a trade show and I was having dinner in a tiny restaurant with a buddy of mine that I hadn't seen for a couple of years, and I just in the course of this conversation I was telling him, oh yeah, I got offered these Star Wars novels and it's going to be a lot of fun and everything like that. As, as you you know, just a conversation you have with you know another writer friend, and a, a couple got up from the next table because they were done their meal. It's a tiny small restaurant got up to the next table and the man in the couple had asked the waitress for a slip of paper and I had happened to see this because as a writer you observe everything and then he put it down in front of me and asked me for my autograph he had no idea who I was no names had been mentioned Uh, but he just said if you have something to do with Star Wars I want your autograph and right there it was you know I needed nothing else just to remind me the big dog in this relationship you know is Lucasfilm and that's fine
5: It's also really interesting in that uh, because there's so much history, um, it's almost like writing actual history where there are things you can get right or wrong, but there are stopgaps in place to make sure that you don't Mm -hmm. uh, because we know how exacting it is. But at the same time, um, maybe it's because I was in part of the first new canon and they weren't quite sure, but I got to make up some stuff that I never dreamed I'd get to make up. And uh, it has a very momentous feel to it, where you're like, this is this is a thing, and it exists now. And you know, I'll go on the Wikipedia. I can't get into Wikipedia, but I can get in the Wikipedia, and I'll just go there and be like, okay, I'm real. I exist. I'm a real girl. Yeah.
1: So I um, that was pretty liberating when I had my first conversation with my editors, and and I asked them. I said, okay, so. So I have to say things like transparency, you know, what words can I use, what can I not use, can I do, you know, and it was almost crippling in some ways, like, what kind of wood do I describe this desk, and they said, look, just just write it, there are no rules right now, you're in at the very beginning, you know, just, just write it, and so, in comparison to writing your own stuff, one of the best analogies I can give people, because I, I do get asked this quite a bit, is, um, at least particularly as, as a woman, hopefully men can get this analogy too, But um, I liken it to giving birth to a child that's your own child that you keep, that you raise, and that's yours. And that's writing your own work. That's that's your kid. And for better or worse, even when you send it out into the world, that will always be your child. But when you are a, uh, oh my gosh, why is my brain freezing? (laughs) Not a foster mom. But when you are um, doing a surrogate mom thank you when you're a surrogate mom you still create that baby the DNA may have gone from some come from somebody else may have come from other people but you still grew that baby that baby is still coming from you and then you give that baby away and it might be this beautiful baby but once you give it away to the parents it belongs to the parents so I wrote this story for Star Wars I gave it back to you know Disney and Lucasfilm and what they do with it and what happens to those characters is no longer I mean it's not mine
5: but you still keep all those newspaper clippings about all the amazing things oh, that yes. that baby is doing. You, in the you're world. still like, I grew that baby.
1: I grew that baby.
2: <laughs> yes, you're a real downer, aren't you?
5: <laughs> no, I just
1: mean that's kind of how that's kind of how I went into no, it. I, you know, I you had to go, I had to go into it like emotionally. I was invested, but only to a point because I knew at the end of this experience.
4: Well, and I, th- I think ultimately, though, especially if you're going to do a really good job when you're when you're doing tie-in work, and with Star Wars, it was easy because we were fans and we loved this stuff. That you do go in and you tell yourself, okay, you know, I, I know I'm giving it up and this is my emotional limitation, but you're really lying to yourself, <laughs> you know, cause right. it's, cause it's always, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be part of you. I was commenting before this to someone, uh, you know, I have people come up to me and say, Hey, you know, I just, I just read, um, Rogue Squadron and I really, really liked it. And, and for me, that was 20 years ago, but for them, it was yesterday, yeah. you know, and, and they're mentioning it, and they're liking it. Just links emotionally right back into all of those emotions that have been sitting there for twenty years. Yeah. You know, and 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 that's a good thing. Isn't it is not a complaint, but but it's just it's one of those things that even though you want to sever that that emotional attachment, wow, it's still going to be there.
5: Yeah. Well, you know, I had well, someone well, ask me um, if it was hard to write Han Solo because it's he's kind of a big deal. We all know him. And you're like, it's almost like writing about my uncle that I've known my whole life. Like, <laughs> of course I know what he's going to say because like. I've known him since I was born, so there's an interesting familiarity when it's in your blood, where you're like it's it's just like listening to your uncle talk. Yay!
2: Well, but there's there's a perspective that I want to put into the sort of a historical perspective because when uh, air was out what ninety one, yeah, okay, in the nineties, and the eighties, and even before that, there was all kinds of media tie in fiction. There were you know, the well, there were Star Trek books. That was sort of the best of them, but there were a lot of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea novels and Planet of the Apes novels and things, things like that, Man from U.N.C.L.E. novels, and those were really considered like like make work books for authors that that they just sort of threw them a assignment.
5: They were step up from
2: writing form. They they really. So what's wrong Mike's with writing porn? In the, in the, in the, in the pay hierarchy, yeah. that would Mike, be. Mike's not kidding. And, uh, the the erotica authors, pays
5: pretty good, you guys. Yeah, the authors, we're
2: talking porn, not erotica. Yeah. Two entirely different two things. things. Yeah. No, no. The The authors the authors who wrote those were often just tapped in. Th- they weren't asked, Do you love Planet of the Apes? Do you love Space 1999? They just want, You want to knock out this book. And I know a lot of those authors who wrote those books who have utter contempt for the for the series that. Mm-hmm. They never watched Battlestar Galactica. They went, oh, geez, and then they wrote the books. And, and it kind of shows, and those books really got a bad reputation. And, and again, Star Trek was a little bit different. They were a little bit, um, a lot of the people writing those were real Star Trek fans. But when they decided to do Star Wars books, and either inadvertently or, or on purpose, they asked super geeky fanboy to write the first one, and, and Tim like, wrote a real book. <laughs> he, uh,
5: well <laughs> I mean
2: that, this I, I mean he's sitting next to me, but I'm putting words in his mouth. Um, he he wrote a book that was probably as good of a book as any other book he could write. It wasn't just I'm knocking off a dumb Star Wars book. I, I mean you wrote a real book and that kind of set the bar for everybody and now, that's really cool. And, and it was <laughs>
3: deliberate. Uh, Lou Aronica, who had started this whole ball rolling in the first place, insisted it be a hardcover, insisted it be treated like something serious, not just a knockoff. Uh, I, and I found out later on, fortunately it was later on, not while I was writing it, that he'd actually put his job on the line. Yeah. You know, if, if this is go- how it's going to be, if or I'm knowing. quitting. Um, I just
1: hmm? say, talk about pressure if you'd known. I'm glad you didn't exactly. find it later. Yes,
3: exactly. Um... And I think it was Ellen Datlow at uh, Science Fiction Book Club actually. Uh, Asher, okay. Um, my my editor told me that in a conversation that, that that she had rather grudgingly said, "Well, this is real science fiction." So yeah, I, mean, uh, I would never n- I, the concept of just knocking off a book because it's it's for some money and I don't really care about it is just should be foreign to any writer. You should if you can't really get enthusiastic about it, you shouldn't take the assignment in the first place.
0: So what would each of you say was your biggest influence for writing Star Wars? Any previous stories? <laughs> or...
4: you, mean, you mean aside from the movies?
3: There, there are these movies. There are these movies. Yeah.
2: So we had the movies is what we had. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the Boba Fett action
5: figures. Is that how you block out your scenes? Oh yeah, 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 yeah,
6: yeah! And then the ship You, 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 you. How do you do it? it? Yeah, really <laughs>
5: Well, now you know my secret. Well, there you go. No, I have a, I have a, I have a wicket Hence and a diaper and, and an R two D two, and yeah. they're all like, you,
4: you try and write X wing battles if, when you're not moving stuff
1: through the air. Oh, uh, like you're that. just acting so,
5: like a real pilot. Well, there you go. I'm a pilot. I'm imagine you with, like two tennis balls being like, just imagine it, just imagine
6: it.
1: No, you got to use the hands.
5: Uh, yeah, it's got to be hands. Hands are aerodynamic, But yeah. if they're ties, it could be a tennis ball.
4: Well, only if you put waffles on each side.
5: <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't do that? Well,
4: I just some people use that. Oh my god, you just invented in a waffles. dessert.
5: Okay, yes, like you do. got a donut with two waffles on either side? Is this why just 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 use the hands. It's, it's what they it's what they eat in Corellia. You some heard authors about.
2: aren't willing to go the extra mile. Yeah. Extra parsec. No, extra
5: Ooh.
0: I fixed that. <laughs> so, if you could write any story in the new canon, what would you write? It's
1: not a fair.
2: It's not, a- it's not a fair. The one in which all of my stuff becomes canon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I prefer the camel's nose under the tent approach. I'm doing Thrawn. We'll see what else I can get away with later.
4: (laughs) Well, well, after I put Mara in charge of Rogue Squadron, we'd bring all of them back. (laughs) (laughs)
5: Sounds good. Yeah. I want to do a whole Bazine book, and I also feel like Sabine Wren could do some pretty awesome stuff.
1: Um, I really, really thought that Brand, my character from Inbrief, could have had an entire novel. But the reality is I would love to do the novelization for Episode Eight. So if anybody knows anybody and wants to throw my name in the ring for that, I'd happy
0: to do that. Or Rogue One.
1: No, so Alexander Freed is actually doing a Rogue One novelization. He did the novelization uh, for Battlefront, uh, Twilight Company, and he did a really, really great job. Um particularly since it was that nitty-gritty ground battle sort of thing. So just based on what I think we're seeing from Rogue One, he really is the, the right writer for that. He's, he's great for that.
2: Now, we got to make a point, though, because a novelization, what, what we're doing is actually our own original stories, that yep. we use the characters and the settings and we make our own stories. If you write a novelization, somebody gives you the script of The Phantom Menace, and then you have to fill it in and make it into a novel. You are tied into what happens in the movie. So you don't get to make up how you want the scene to go. You got to write it the way it is in the movie. And like Terry Brooks added all kinds of extra things and um, I'm assuming Bob Salvatore did and and I forget who wrote The Revenge of the Sith. Matched Matt
1: over.
5: Oh, Matched over. Matched Which over. is
1: okay. why I'd really like to do it cuz I've actually never done anything like that before and I think it'd be a pretty cool learning experience. Plus I'd get to see what happens before anyone else. I
2: did the novelist. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did the novelization to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie, so you don't always want to do that.
5: (laughs) And you were like, please make it good.
2: The previews looked really good.
0: (laughs) So, Janine, how much do you think your military background influenced what you were able to write?
1: Oh, I mean, (laughs) I wrote in brief while I was preparing my own detachment of Marines to to deploy, forward deploy into a combat zone. So, I mean, obviously that heavily influenced uh, a lot of just a lot of the story. And I I think that, um, I don't know, I guess that's the answer. It heavily influenced it. I I was going through it with my own Marines. It uh, it, just, the timing of it was all pretty serendipitous.
0: It was kind of perfect. So Delilah, um, what background information were you given before you were able to write your story? Well, I mean, as as we all know, we
5: sign an NDA that's actually longer than the book itself. <laughs> um, but but I can tell you that I was I was asking a lot of questions because you know we didn't we had no idea at this point in time what had been going on in the past thirty years, and they were like, you know, just Google the Force Awakens spoilers, and go by oh. that. <laughs> so but I was like, but I don't want spoilers. Well, I, I didn't. I didn't hear what happened at the very end. Thank goodness. But no, I had a picture. I had a picture, and the picture of Basine sitting on Grumgar's lap. You're like, oh, okay, I can, I can, we can do something with this.
0: So, so um, I think we are going to open up the floor for some audience questions. Make sure to please keep them brief. Uh, Mr. Riley Blanton will and be make here. Make
2: sure there's a question.
0: Yes, make sure there's an actual question. We don't need story time. Please go ahead and line up here in the middle. And so for our panelists, while they're getting everything ready, um, what's your favorite Star Wars book that you've not written?
1: I'm not answering this question. <laughs> no, I, I'll, I'll be honest, and I, I don't... Um, I've got to say, and I love all of you, but um, Aaron's uh, X-Wing books, by far, absolutely hold my heart. The the raid Squadron books, so... Yeah.
5: We
0: have our first question.
2: What's your name, man? Wait, 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 wait. We're still. Nope, I skipped. Me too. Pass. You guys
1: can all say my story. It's fine. Like
0: you
2: guys all, everybody writes too darn many books, so we can't keep up with them. So, I write them. All right, then,
5: audience questions. All right, ready for our first question. This is from
2: Addison. Um, They kind of make the the distinction between Star Trek and Star Wars, as Star Wars being the lived-in
6: universe, sort of the, the more grimy, the more sort of worn equipment and all that. So what are your
2: techniques for making your
1: novels and your writing more lived in? What what are
2: how do you accomplish that?
1: All right. Well I'll go first. I'm a shy. I think it's the little details. Um, I only had basically 3,000 words to work with to create an entire backstory and it had to be this whole military setting. And so just putting in the teeny tiny details, such as some of the little back and forth, the fun little jokes, um, little things to cue you into, that kind of where they were, smells, sounds, things like that, um, but something as benign as, hey, let's go play cards afterwards. So that's how I did it.
2: By uh, using lots of tired old cliches in the writing? That's a joke. Um, um I don't know, I mean because we we live Star Wars, we, we I mean, while writing these things I had the movies playing like an infinite loop on, on the TV and and you just it's it's in your head and the readers have it in their head and uh, the technology doesn't always work. Think people don't always know exactly where they're going. When Star Trek things usually work and and they're they're solving something in Star Star Wars, um, they are more we don't necessarily know the answer. Technology doesn't always work, and um, it's it's just a look and feel that you have in your head that you hope comes across in the prose.
3: I guess for me, it's making it feel familiar to the characters in the book. Okay, nothing extraordinary here. Oh, you know, there's a, a Rodian or whatever. Yeah, we're not going to take particular notice of it. Uh, just what what Kevin said. It kind of feel. Familiar to everybody, and so hopefully that comes across that the readers
4: feel familiar with it too. Yeah, I think one you engage other senses. So when Janine talked about you know smells and and those things, stuff that's slightly off, stuff you know, there's rust, there's mildew, there's all these things that you would never see on on the Starship Enterprise that are just you know just parts of right. There's you know there's a little dirt in the corner, um, you know these things make it lived in. Things are dented. That's another thing you never see in Star Trek. There's never a dent anywhere. Um, you know, so that, that's, that's what you want. Again, it makes it very, very real.
5: Well, there's a, a physical and emotional shorthand for the Star Wars world, kind of where you, you know, e- the planets have a different feel, the ships have a different feel, you know, the, the, the rebel versus the, the dark side ships have different feels. But um, uh, it almost feels like, um, you know, if you're writing about, say, like France, you think about, okay, you know, the Eiffel Tower and the stylish people and their scarves and croissants everywhere – if you're writing about, you know, Greece, there's there's the little white buildings and the blue water. But I think we have this internalized shorthand for Star Wars as well where uh, we can just say it with a couple of words to draw the scene because you're so familiar with it. And so we can uh, get to add the little details around those and add the little Thomas Kincaid touches of gold that are our own on top of that shorthand that makes you feel at home and like you're in the world.
3: I think for me in the movies, even more than the what a piece of junk line, the thing that made it more just so much different than Star Trek, was he? No, this one goes there, that one goes there. <laughs> just That one felt just exactly the way it really works in the world. Yeah, exactly. All
5: right, our next question is for Matthew.
3: Uh, Dawson and Spinlove, this is going to be a cautionary tale question for the two of you. Um, Timothy, thank you for uh, signing my book last year and giving me a glimpse into how you felt about Mara Jade being killed by another novelist. Uh, Stackpole and Anderson, I wanted to ask you, um, when you wrote the X-Men novels, did you ever have conversations with Aaron Alston on which characters he's allowed to kill? And for the rest of you, did anybody else have a character that belonged to you that you created that was killed by another author, and how did it make
2: you feel? Surrogate
3: mother.
1: Yeah, I was going to say surrogate child.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's not our babies. And I just, for the record, I just want to make sure you all know that none of us up here killed Chewbacca. Okay?
5: (laughs) Can I, can I just say, I was on a treadmill. I was on a treadmill at LA Fitness when I read that. I fell on the treadmill and zipped off onto the ground. <laughs> it was a bad day, y'all.
3: How, however, from the evidence so far, it looks like whoever threw the moon at Chewbacca missed.
5: <laughs> the phone oh, were idiots, yeah. man. Yeah.
4: Um, no, there was never any conversation with, with Aaron about who he could kill or he couldn't, because, one, that was not our, our place to say. Uh, the conversations that I had with Aaron were, and I'd known Aaron for a long, long time, uh, were just general. Look, this is the field that that this is the field that seems to appeal. These are the things that I've heard fans say. These, you know, this is the third rail stuff you don't want to be doing. You know, just general things. But I knew Aaron well enough, and I know all of these guys well enough that if they're going to go ahead and kill a character, it's not going to be a wasted death. There will be a purpose to it. It will. It will have meaning, and, and that is—that's the real thing. Is look, we invest a lot of emotion into these characters. Readers invest a lot of emotions into these characters, and if you don't respect that when you kill the characters or when you do something to the characters, people are not going to like it. They're going to like it if the character dies, but if the character dies well, at least they understand. And so, to be true to the characters and true to the to the source material we're dealing with, that's what we have to do. And luckily enough the right writers have been chosen who understand that and have the ability to do that.
5: All right, our next question is from Trey.
2: Hi, guys. This is for uh, Mr. Anderson specifically, but I'd love to hear everyone's opinion on it. As authors who write in a universe established by someone else, do you feel that fan fiction plays a part or can play a part in Deciding what is canon in the universe, or is it more for just personal fan happiness? You, you mean, as if fans are writing their own fan fiction, can that pay, play a part in the the developing of a canon? Or uh, yes, basically, okay. if it gains traction or becomes accepted enough, do you feel like that's well uh, fan could happen? We can't read fan fiction. I mean, we're we're not allowed to read fan fiction just because we don't want somebody saying you stole my idea. Um, I'm perfectly happy with fan fiction. I love it. I mean, I, I wrote fan fiction when I was in high school. Um, it's your way of expressing your love for the universe, but the people who, we were actually picked by Lucasfilm to do this stuff, so ours uh, was accepted into the, the canon temporarily. Um, <laughs> but fan fiction did not influence us, well, me, I don't I didn't read any of it. Because, I mean, people would send me their fan fiction. In fact, I had, I had one person mail me their 500-page typewritten Star Wars novel. And I wrote back with, with just a manuscript, with no return envelope, no postage, anything. And I, I wrote, I said, you know, I'm sorry we're not allowed to, to read any fan fiction. And there's no return envelope, and I get hundreds of letters. So it sort of went, let's just say I was kind to the environment and a month later the fan wrote back and said well okay could could you mail it back to me because that's my only copy well again evolution in action i guess so sorry
1: so i think you've seen it um more recently in the last uh, definitely the last decade but but for sure in the last 5 or 6 years where fandom um, and not maybe not necessarily in Star Wars, but we've seen it in kind of like the Teen Wolf fandom and a bunch of the other fandoms where you, you do have um, really big ships coming out and, and people who want to ship this couple or who want to see this happen or whatever. And some of the creators and content, you know, content producers, of particularly the TV shows and whatnot, they do interact with the fans and you do see it um, affect the TV show or, or how that's going. Me personally, I haven't really seen that drive Star Wars, other than, obviously, I was a huge consumer of Star Wars fan fiction, um, and I still write, I don't write Star Wars fan fiction, I still write fan fiction, I, I, I love to write in a Hobbit fan fiction, not gonna, I'm gonna throw that out there, I love Tolkien, um, but I do, I love fan fiction in that I, I just love the creativity that you see out there, and how people get an opportunity to, to share with other people, and it's free, and it's fun, and you can just take all these Really neat scenarios and what if scenarios and, and I just think that it's awesome to see all the possibilities. But so long as people understand there's a difference between fanfiction and canon, you yeah. know.
3: We got paid for it.
1: Yes, it. basically. <laughs> I had to keep going, I'm not writing fanfiction. This is amazing. All
5: right, next question is from Jeff.
4: Uh, my question is for Mr. Anderson and pretty much the entire panel since you guys are writing canon that's becoming established for the entire universe how often do you lose things in the editorial process that you think would have been great for for this
2: universe for this writing well i've got some great ones but because they weren't accepted they don't count yeah. and then i recycle them into my own fiction then so yeah i can't
4: think of anything yeah. really.
3: generally uh, the things we've disagreed on between Lucasfilm and me in in the books um, Either they get their way, see you know, big dog above. More often, or occasionally I'm able to get my way when I explain to them why it should work this way, more often we find a compromise position that will satisfy both of us. So when you do writing in somebody else's universe, you learn negotiation
2: and diplomacy, or you don't write there very often, very much more. Well, my the one that I really, really kills me that they didn't take, is I I had written an entire origin for the Ewoks. And the Ewoks are cute, right? They're, they're kind of disgustingly cute. They're fierce, cute.
5: sir. Fierce. fierce. fierce yes.
2: <laughs> well, let me explain. So I said, okay, so there must be a reason why they're cute. What if they were, like, genetically bred to be cute, like like pet teddy bears or whatever, from this race that was wealthy they're and whatever. So their they're teddy bears are supposed to be cute. And they're aboard like this space yacht that crash lands on the moon of Endor. And the, all, all the people are killed, and the only thing that survives is a golden droid that helps these, these now feral Ewoks learn to survive on the forest moon. This is now. which is for why they have become feral, which is why they worship C3PO and go, ooh ah. That all makes sense. So you're and saying I Ewoks that. are the
5: dwarf hamsters of yeah. the Star Wars world. And
2: I, and I proposed that, and George Lucas himself wrote, No, the, the Ewoks, Ewoks are cute because they're cute. <laughs>
3: I would love to hear how you recycle that into
4: one of your books. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm working on
4: it. Does <laughs> I- it involve sandworms? <laughs>
1: so,
2: Ewoks I- of Dune. Yes, there we was- <laughs>
5: All right, our next question is from Mike. Oh, I thought,
2: uh, my question is mostly I for... Thought, I for, for, still, for still so
5: oh, oh, yeah, I was just going to say, I had kind of the opposite po- problem, where when I was writing, I was like, oh, I'm going to put in this planet and these people and I love, and they're like, no, nah, just come up with something new, and I was like, you want me to come up with a planet? You trust me? My parents don't trust me that much. <laughs> So I actually had to like come up with the new stuff instead of using you know our old favorites. So yeah. it, was, it was the opposite problem, but it was super fun. And I spent a lot of time like walking around my neighborhood going like just trying out weird words. Yeah,
1: I yeah I definitely had a few moments of don't ruin Star Wars. Please don't ruin Star Wars. Please don't ruin Star, you know. Um, no, we'll have those. Yes, <laughs> like uh, I had two little things that I don't want to say. I kind of fought for, but when I got my edits, that I I, I went back with. OK, but I, I re- this is why, like Tim said, this is why I wanted to do this. And for one, they said, OK, that's fine, that makes sense. The other, they were like, nope ax it. And I was like, you the boss. It's gone. So that's how it goes. And batting
3: 500 and something like that is really good. <laughs> <laughs>
5: All right, now we have our next question from Mike.
2: Uh, my question is largely for Timothy, um, but also for the rest of you as well. Um, in interpreting this universe we all have decades of knowledge now that you've helped to build that we use when we watch this these shows when we watch these movies when we read these books but now we all of a sudden have to almost forget those lessons of the
3: past you know in particular with thrawn we already have this character that we know that we love and now you're building him again how does that that blank wall come into into place with you're right. uh, okay first of all I'm not rebuilding him. This, this book is set in a period I haven't written. So it's not overwriting anything else I've done. It's filling in some gap. Um, as far as forgetting what you've known, uh, we've got a moment for me to give my legends uh, pitch here. The way I think about this is there was a flood in the Coruscant Record Office basement, and all these records got damaged. We don't know if there was a Talon card or a corn horn because it's soggy now. Uh, think, think of it as the legend of Robin Hood or King Arthur and, and uh, Camelot. Uh, Robin Hood probably didn't exist, certainly not in the form that Kevin Costner played him as. Oh, thank God. Thank God, yeah. Um, or even Cary uh, Elwes. Um, I appreciated his so he's him. a legend. However, if tomorrow somebody in England finds a letter from Prince John to the Sheriff of Nottingham saying, I have had it with this Robin Hood guy. I want his head on a pike by next Candlemass, next to Friar Tuck's and Little John's. Suddenly, Robin Hood is no longer legend. He's part of history. And that is what they can do with all of our stuff. Okay, we found another record from that soggy uh, flood area. Cornhorn does exist. By golly, okay. And so suddenly he's part of history again. And this is, by doing it this way, they've allowed themselves to easily move things, characters, planets, events back from legends into real history. So you know, be of good cheer. Unless it's been specifically overwritten, you can still, it's kind of like Schrodinger's cat thing. It still can <laughs> be thought of to In exist. The box many analogies can you come up with in one speech? Here we go. <laughs> Robin Hood and
0: Schrödinger's
2: cat. That's the only time I've ever heard that in one conversation. And you I
1: heard it here first. I, I do just have to just add to you, and I, I think hopefully everybody feels this way. You can never take away those books. I still go back and read them. The enjoyment of them, the stories are still there. They're not gone. Just because we have more canon now. They're they're still there. They'll always be there. And
2: also, think about think about all the movies. Just just because they have now done Man of Steel, does that mean that the Christopher Reeve Superman movie doesn't exist? No. no. I mean, on all, all the different reboots of superhero movies that we've seen over and over again, um, that the latest incarnation of the Amazing Spider Man doesn't mean that the uh, the right. Tobey Maguire ones didn't exist. I mean, you have to, as comic people, you've gotten used to a million different Earth ones and Earth twos and different versions. So we're just, the, the former EU, the now Legends, is on Earth 2 instead of Earth 1. It's, you can still do more stories or still enjoy it. Coruscant 2. Coruscant 2. <laughs> Coruscant <laughs> one. There you go.
5: Which one is the darkest timeline, though? <laughs> it's the one with Jar Jar.
2: Some of you might like, like the Adam young. West Batman series instead of the, mind. Uh, no. yeah. And For what it was? And for what it was it was, it. it was, it
3: was fun. fun. Super Friends. Here
2: Super friends in the Dark Knight don't really belong in the same universe. <laughs> this is so true. You're making my brain
6: bleed.
5: <laughs>
6: <laughs>
2: Alright,
5: now we
6: have
2: a uh, question from Brett. Uh,
6: this is for uh, Tim, but uh, for the
5: rest of you as well. Uh, you created, obviously, one of the most iconic villains in the Star Wars universe, villain Thrawn. Dalin Asar belonged up there as well. What, but he's a very different kind of villain than Darth Vader and Palpatine were books, what was your inspiration for creating, kind of, what were you pulling from to create this very unique character? And again, I think the question applies to the rest of you and your characters as well.
3: Well, for me, uh, I wanted to do a story that was Star Wars, but did not do the same story or the same material Lucas had already done. So no Vader type, no Palpatine type. It occurred to me as I was working on and thinking about this, that a, a more dangerous villain is someone who can lead by loyalty because his troops will fight for him, even if he's not in the same room with them breathing over their neck. Um, so what makes what kind of commander makes it for loyal troops? Strategically brilliant, so they know we've got a good chance of winning, uh, not driven by pride, so they know that if he's losing, he'll pull back and, and won't waste lives, a bunch of other things like that. And uh, then finally, because the emperor doesn't seem to like aliens in positions of authority, make him an alien. So you know, if he got to be grand admiral, he must be something very special. And that's the throne. Really, it sounds sounds very simple when you explain it. It was you well
1: maybe. done. <laughs> it was very well done.
6: Do you want to take and what's your name, man? My name is Mike. Um, I actually have a quick. Two-parter. Uh, first part, real easy. Uh, show of hands. Uh, w- who of you can we expect to see a celebration in Orlando next year? Probably. Just, just <laughs> well, I'm going to be the,
1: on a cruise. Um, the the, the <laughs> oh. going to be better. Than...
3: The fact that Thrawn comes out two days before celebration probably means I'll be coming.
6: And, and we'll um, be at Earth 2 at the, at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the next uh, follow-up um, for Kevin and for Mike, uh, I don't think it's been confirmed at all yet, and I don't know if you can confirm. Will you be coming back and writing new canon novels for us? And if anything, any little tidbits you can tell us?
2: Well, my phone's probably ringing right now, but I'm here at Dragon Con, so uh, that they can contact me if they'd like. Yeah, I mean, they know where we are. Look,
4: this is the, the situation. As far as I'm concerned, is this? Is I remember when I got called to work in Star Wars. I was thirty-something. I loved Star Wars, and it was a big thrill. And I enjoyed the hell out of out of doing the work that I did, the the comics and the novels and, and stuff like that. And now there's a whole new crop of thirty-something writers who are getting to have that same thrill. And so if I, I if I never get a phone call. If it, if we're just keeps going to these guys <laughs> and they can have the same feeling and the same same relationship with the property that I did, that's great. You know, if the phone rings or you know they call my agent, sure, love to come back and do some other stuff. But but I really I do not begrudge these other guys at all their opportunities.
3: And as Janine as Janine said, it's always going to be ours in some level. It's owned by Lucasfilm, owned by Disney, but it's your X Wing, it's oh, your Rogue on. Squadron your Jedi Academy. And that never goes away.
2: Thank you all. Well, Thanks. And, and I mean, I, I did 54 projects for Lucasfilm. So I mean, I, I was very thrilled with that. And it's been a while. But what they basically have done is, when Bantam turned it over to Del Rey, they got a different crop of writers. And now it's been turned over to Disney, and they have a different crop of writers. That's kind of to be expected. Um, I'm, did, I'm happy. Tim's, those
6: black Tim's the so black penny. The <laughs> bad penny that the keeps going back. The bad penny that keeps going
3: back,
2: yeah.
3: But I never got to do a pop up book. Yes. <laughs> with a music chip in it. That <laughs> you hadn't mentioned that part.
2: <sighs> Every little kid that played with it found hey, the music hey, chip Tim, again, Tim. And again, and again and again and again. Bitterness.
4: Don't go there.
5: <laughs> All right, our next class question Should comes I from Glenn. That, uh, yeah,
6: my question uh, is for uh, Delilah. Yes, uh, because, uh, you know, you wrote your, your short story about uh, Basine, who is, uh, in my opinion, the second most important person at the Castle, because you know, so she reports on, on BB-8 being there, and she drives the whole rest of the movie, and yet nothing, there's really nothing else about her, like, like totally dropped her character, Topps has done nothing.
5: You mean she's got the Boba Fett syndrome. <laughs>
6: No, no, the Bobo, if she was Boba. said, she'd have five different action figures out and whatever. She's been totally, you know, she's not on cards. she doesn't have, she's not on, like, Canadian top cars, she's not, except for the ones that they had her sign. And she's not, like, in even a lot of, like, video yeah. pictures and things like that. She's not there. That's
5: a question. Does that break my heart? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm waiting. I check Walmart every week. Yes. We,
1: we would love more action figures with more ladies. We would like that a lot. That's another that's another even panel. Ray. Yeah, even Ray. Even Ray. But that, that's a whole other panel that I think yeah, we're having Sunday? On Sunday. Yes. Is it tomorrow? No, is a- I'll, a- I'll you to a question. 3, yes, Friday. sorry. Would tomorrow you- at 5.30 we will be talking about stuff like that.
6: Okay. So, so how much of you collect of the characters that you created? <laughs> I know I had Tim sign a.
3: Um, I get every one I can find, uh, all the various versions of Thrawn and Mara Jade. I've got the little Coruscant from, uh, that I think it was Pizza Hut was giving out at uh, Phantom Menace. You open it up and it, it bobbles up and down. Uh, so yeah, I, I collect them. I, they, they put them aside on the brag shelf. Do not do battles with them. They're too fragile. <laughs>
5: You know, I don't have any action figures or even a Lego figure, but um, there's some amazing fan art and some women cosplaying Basine that are just lovely. So I really enjoy when folks tag me on Instagram or Twitter, and I can see that, like, even if she doesn't have her physical representation, like, people are working that.
4: I will say that was one of the cooler things about working in the universe. After I'd done a bunch of the comics for Dark Horse, and I'd actually stopped at that point, only a box from them appeared on my doorstep, and it was action figures. Uh, and it was because they had done you know, issues of comics backed by figures of a couple of characters that were in the comics, and they did yes. several of those, and, and that was very cool. And that was you know that was just one of those unexpected perks because it's not you know when you're signing the contract it's not oh by the way there'll be action figures of your characters and suddenly that appears and that's just it's just a really cool thing. So I think I've got one of all of them. Um, I I think I managed to get one of all of them. I
2: that what I did not get was Baron Fell's. Um, uh, TIE Fighter. Well, And that is one of the really cool... They did one uh, for my Jedi search, I think they did for the Empire. Right? They basically had a, a box that yeah. was the, and the, the, the mini, book, mini and then they had Micro Machine figures in it. Yeah. Which I had to buy myself at Walmart because nobody told me that they made them. Yeah, um, that. that was kind of fun. But I you also get a get a jazz, the, the surrogate mother kind of thing. They've used some of my stuff in the Clone Wars cartoons. and I've, I'm watching the Clone Wars cartoons and go, holy crap, that's from my book. Well, it's from their book, but this was my my my, it was
1: my idea. My
2: idea. <laughs> um, I mean, that's that's kind of neat. And the, the the double lightsaber from Darth Maul, that was something that we developed in the Tales of the Jedi comics. So sitting in the theater watching the previews for Phantom Menace, and Darth Maul has a double lightsaber. We go, dude, we did that in the comics. And okay, that's this just is, really cool.
4: This is the freakier thing. I'm still not used to it. When people come up and say, this is my son, Corinth. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, my
1: gosh.
4: His surrogate son. (laughs) You know, as long as they don't tag me for his college tuition, I'm good.
0: So this is a good follow-up question, though. What's your favorite thing a fan has given you or your favorite fan interaction?
2: That one. I mean, I had the same thing where some guy came up to me and uh, he introduced me to his son, who was named after Kip Dura, and he wanted his picture taken with the kid, who was like ten years old. But the other one, I think, uh, was at one of the comic cons, where this this guy, maybe thirty four or something like that, comes up to me with an, with an utterly battered copy of Jedi Search, and he's got his ten year old son with him, and he said, "I want Mr. Anderson. I want you to sign this this book." that my dad gave me when I was 10 years old, I want you to sign it to my 10-year-old son so I can get him interested in reading the way my dad got me interested in reading. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, the,
3: the, the uh, people named after your characters are great. The, the old books being passed down. How many kids down. named
2: Thrawn have you been introduced
1: to? <laughs> no, no. What's the full name? What's the full name? I, I've got the
3: Jason's. Plan, uh, I've got Jason's, Janas, and uh, a lot of Mara Jade's. But I think the, 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 the peak of it is someone who comes up to you and says, I hated reading till I read your books. Now I read all the time. Yes, we did it right.
4: This one actually happened at, at uh, Dragon Con. Uh, I think it was about four years ago, five, four or five years ago now. Um, a young woman came up to Aaron and me at the same time on a, on a panel, and she gave us each uh, cloaks that she had made and decorated. And the one she gave me was uh, included the logo of the Pulsar skate. And what she had explained to us, because she was only a relatively young woman, um, she had been diagnosed with cancer. And during the treatment, this is when she was a teenager, and, and during the treatment she had been very depressed. And her doctors pulled her mother aside and said, you know, if her attitude does not get better, this is just not going to work. And so she said when she got home, her mother went to her room and pulled the X-Wing books off of the shelf and set them down in front of her and said, start reading. Uh, Because she had enjoyed those books before. And what she told us was that she started reading and for the first time in months, she actually laughed. And she felt much better. And she, God bless her, credited Aaron and me getting her through that treatment. Um, you know, I mean, both Aaron and I discussed this afterwards, and we know far better it was the doctors and everybody else. But just to have been able to, and, 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 and I think ultimately this is the best thing a writer can do. We're, we're here to entertain. I mean, that is what you pay us to do, really. Okay? You don't pay us to tell you how to make your life better or anything like that. We, we, you pay us to entertain. And if part of that entertainment is making, you know, a five-hour plane ride vanish... So you don't notice it or to make time easier when you're going through chemo or, or, you know, you, you've just broken up with someone and you, and you want a sanctuary. Holy crap. If we can do that,
2: that's magic,
4: you know? And, and so to be able to do that with her, that was just great.
5: It's, you know, my, my story hasn't even been out a year yet, and it's uh, it's gonna be hopefully in print in the back of The Force Awakens in September in the paperback, so it's not as widely read, and I, I can't even approach that. So uh, mine is much much more banal, but um, a guy broke up with me in high school, and he was a really big Star Wars fan, and and I have that kind of like, I, I still hold that against him for breaking up with me, and I'm just like, I wrote, canon, you son of a bitch. There you go. So, you know, there's helping people that are dying, and then there's revenge.
1: Um, yeah, so uh, this is all very new to me. I've, I've had really fun fan interactions based on my original work. Um, but this is all, this story particularly being in print, is very, very recent. Um, and for me, it was the, the first convention I went at where the story was out in paperback with, with the uh, trade paperback for Battlefront, and I had people showing up with the copy of the book. Like, I don't know. it's just like they showing up with the copy of Star Wars and, and here, to me, for me to sign. And it was just, I don't know, just something as basic as me signing a Star Wars book. That's, to me, but that's real. Oh, my gosh, it's real. Get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> so.
5: All right, now we have a question from Jay. Um,
4: my question is for Mr. Zahn. Basically, General Patton used history and literature to understand how his enemies would behave. How What inspired you to use art for Thrawn?
3: I wish I remembered.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Make up
4: Because
3: I get that question a lot. Um, it's just something that happened during the process of, um, of designing the story, designing the characters. I thought that would be something very cool. And I've had people suggest to me, I think somebody said, well, uh, you, you do better to you know, learn the, the races, mythology, or they said legends, really. Um, the problem with legends or stories or anything else is it has to come through translation. And either Thrawn would have to know the language correctly to get all the nuances or trust the translator to get all the nuances. Art is there. He can see exactly what the, the, the piece was. So it made sense if he can see this. It was also sort of a a flip side of the Jedi thing. It's not the Force, but like Jedi can use the Force. Nobody else understands it. He's got this ability, and no one else really understands it, but it works for him. But it was just something that came along, oh, I guess that'd be cool. And uh, it took off from there. Thank you.
5: Excellent. Here's the next question.
2: And for our next few, uh, we have time for only a few more questions, so let's just cycle through as quick as we can. And, and your name, sir? Justin. Uh, for Mr. Anderson, and I guess the rest of the panel as well. If you've read any of the new canon books, which is your favorite of the new canon books? I honestly haven't. Sorry. I mean, I, I stopped reading before the the New Jedi Order because that's when I stopped writing for Lucasfilm, and that's a lot of work to keep up with it if you're not in, in the universe working on it. So, Sorry.
5: Um, I got to read Bloodlines uh, before I wrote Scorched, and it was just—it was so lovely. It was so hard to not be able to talk about it. <laughs> You're right. Just like I'm doing this amazing thing, and I can't tell any of you but it's amazing.
1: Yeah, I think this is this is a pretty unfair question. I, nothing really compares to Claudia Gray's uh, what foray what she did into. Uh, it's not Star by Star, but. Uh, Lost. Thank Stars. you, Lost Stars. It's about two pilots. I mean. I, I was just like, this is why I lit and it's a romance and it's got two pilots. I'm t- push all my buttons. So, I mean, it was like tailor-made for me. So <laughs> go, Claudia, so Claudia Gray, Bloodlines and, you know, there
5: you go. So we're Claudia Gray fangirls. basically. Yeah. She's, pretty, uh, she's pretty awesome.
6: Yeah, she's pretty great. Alright, our
5: next question is from Mara Jade, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Shara. Hi. Um, now that Thrawn has been brought into canon, do you think that Mara Jade will be brought in? And if so, how would you like to see her brought
4: in? Dad, I think that's for you. (laughs) (laughs) You want to take this one, Kevin?
3: Uh, I want her to look just like you. Yeah. How about that? I have no idea if they have any plans to bring any of my other characters into canon. I would guess, and it's not been actually said this way, but I would guess that Thrawn is, to some extent, an experiment. If he's well received by the rebels' audience, if the book sells very well, it will be possible. If the, if both of those sink like stones, yeah, probably not. Uh, but you know, this sounds very mercenary. But the the better the sales of Thrawn, and the better the reaction of to the show, the more likely they will allow the camel's nose to get a
2: little deeper into the tent. You're getting what he's saying, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs>
6: <laughs>
1: you know you can pre-order them I'm just saying not not, not to, to be I'm
3: mercenary grateful. but they make great birthday presents <laughs> for
1: yeah for the whole family and review make sure you get on there and review too five stars five stars Thank
6: you. all right we got time for one more question we got one from Heather hi um to
5: Mr. and all of you I know at least me I've done a few more more than once stayed up for a midnight release of a book have any of
1: you? I have dressed up in costume oh, and yeah. gone to midnight release. Come on. Well,
4: Tim and I haven't, but Kevin stayed up for the release of his. Oh, so
2: oh, yeah. I've stayed up till midnight many times just to make sure the book got turned in on time.
6: Yeah.
2: Yeah. No. By the time our books come, I mean, I'm speaking for a lot of us here, by the time our books come out, we've already written five more books, and it's like, I'm on this one now, and it comes out, oh yeah, that one's out this time. And, and it, it's... We've read them really and truly like nine or ten times before they come out. And we're thrilled and thrilled with it. But when people come up to us and say, in your new book, what when on Chapter 12, when this happened, I go, my new book. Now, which one? She's like seven books earlier, right? And I'm trying to remember which ones they are, especially the Young Jedi Knights books that came out every three months. And so we were like writing four or five books ahead of the one that was coming out, and I didn't remember what was happening in which book.
3: And I don't think I've ever had a midnight release book. You know, everybody right. can wait. Everybody can get a good night's sleep and get it in the morning if they want it. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Well, let's give our amazing panelists a round of, the round of applause. Please do not leave. Do not leave. Um, we have something really, really special, Del Rey sent us something. We are the first people in the entire galaxy, basically, to have copies of the Thrawn Trilogy reprints.
3: The new, cop- the new copies.
0: The brand new ones. With if my staffers will hurry and pick them up, <laughs> we are going to give a couple of those away. so hopefully you will be... <laughs> Sitting in a lucky seat. Sorry, there
5: are none left. We're going to need to quality check those.
0: Right. So let's showcase those and how beautiful okay. those amazing covers are. And they link together.
3: Now I should mention that they what they've done is to make a triptych picture of of the three covers. Okay, I'm going to get it. They, get they a go together. This. I have a. Uh, I can show you what it looks like. Um, the whole the thing order. without the text. Mic
2: drop. <laughs> you just carry that with you in your pocket, do you? Mm-hmm. You just carry that with you in your pocket all the time?
0: Uh, yeah. Okay. okay, so everybody needs to tweet that with hashtag, aw, cheers. <laughs> I think he's carrying it with him this entire weekend at this yes. point. It's um, So... Awesome. Thank you so much to Del Rey. Uh, again, these don't come out for another month. These are the first ones anywhere. So you should look under your chair, and if you have a lucky blue ticket, you get a copy. You get all three. All right, well, they're you looking under chair. their chairs. Uh, then we will we'll work something out on that. All right, if you have, come on up right here. And again, give us another massive round of applause for your amazing Star Wars authors.